0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Brown Bag. Exciting topic tonight. Uh, why stateful serverless matters for server admins or something to that effect. Uh, with our guest tonight, Leon Stigter. Or um, if I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, Stigter, or something along those lines. Uh, Leon, I'll let you correct me later. Uh, but before we get to the presentation, a couple of housekeeping notes. Um, we would love for folks who are viewing the slide to get in on the conversation tonight. You can tweet us using the hashtag VBrownBag or tweet us directly at VBrownBag. Um, Also, please, if you're viewing live, you can use the Zoom Q&A. Note for our YouTube viewers, yes, we're recording this on Zoom. You can join us live. So if you're watching this after the fact, uh, come check us out. Go to VBrownBag.com slash BrownBags to sign up and see how you can view our live shows. Uh, We do this every Wednesday on... uh, 8:30 8:30 Eastern time, 7:30 Central. Um, if you are not in our time zone, not in the US, check out our website for upcoming schedules for other shows in other regions. We'd love to see you there. Uh, I'm your host, Ken Nalbone. If you have a topic that you would like to talk about on V Brown Bag, if you want to enable the community, please reach out to me. My DMs are open. Send me a message, say Ken, I've got a great topic, or you can just tweet the V Brown Bag account on Twitter. In either case, uh, we would love to hear from you. Um, just a quick note, before we get to the main meat of the presentation, next week, we're starting a new course or a new series on CKA, Certified Kubernetes Admin. If that's something you're interested in following, we're going to have a nine-part series so you can prep for the Certified Kubernetes Administrator Exam. Love to see you there. But without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to our, less, uh, our guest, Leon Stichter, if I got that right. He's uh, Red Gitz on Twitter. I won't tell you how long it took me, Leon, to figure out that that's just your last name, but I did figure it out eventually, I'm going to go ahead and stop sharing my screen and hand it
1: over to you, my friend. Awesome. Thank you so much. And by the way, the pronunciation is actually really, really good. So, you know, I'm I'm really happy with that. Thanks very much. So yeah, absolutely. So let me let me go into into a few slides, and I know that the the title was "Why Serverless Matters" for for server uh, for server admins, but I actually kind of want to change that title a bit because let's be honest, server admins today are so much more important than just doing the administration stuff. So I actually want to say, "Why does Serverless Matter" for ops folks, for SREs, for everyone that really helps us. Um, essentially deliver value to our customers and I actually think that today is incredibly exciting it's a really special day at least for me Uh, today is pink Cadillac day so if you if you drive a pink Cadillac super awesome today's your day today is also American chess day it's one of those games that um, I never really learned to play but and this is this is really exciting for me It is actually my first V Brownback, the first one that uh, that I get to present that. So I'm super excited to be here. Uh, uh, Ken, real big thank you to you and Chris for uh, for having me on today. It's our pleasure. So. Awesome. So before we dive in. I actually want to start off with, with answering two, uh, two questions. And um, surprisingly or unsurprisingly, one of those was actually in the Q&A window just now. Um, so yes, serverless does actually run on servers. And I'm saying it specifically for my good friend, Tim Davis, who, um, who if everything went well, is actually joining us in uh, in this session as well. And yes, serverless actually means that you're using someone else's computer. So from from that point of view, serverless is is a mindset. It's like DevOps. It's something that you want to be doing simply because it makes your life a bit easier. So having having answered those those two questions up front, and I, I hope that uh, uh, that it, it helps at least some folks sort of get an idea of what of what serverless is uh, is going to be. I want to take you on a journey. And like every good journey, like every fairy tale, it starts once upon a time in a land far, far away. And just imagine that you have a complete data center. Imagine that you're the administrator of that data center and it's filled with monolithical applications. And let's be honest, a few decades ago, that was for a lot of developers, for a lot of companies, the de facto standard to go build applications, go build a monolith. There simply was no better alternative to go build something. And in in all honesty, I have nothing against monoliths. In in my personal opinion, a well-thought-out monolith is always going to be better than a badly created microservice or serverless architecture, simply because ultimately it comes down to the value that you get to your customers. And the technology to go build something else simply just wasn't there. Our networks weren't fast enough. Our CPUs weren't fast enough to handle multiple things communicating. And the messaging protocols that we created, they just weren't as reliable and as optimized as as they are today. So companies started building better hardware over the last few years. We've made significant improvements in technology. I mean, we've built better networks, we've built faster CPUs, we've invented new messaging protocols. I mean, we came up with the, well, when I say we, I obviously mean the folks uh, at Google, they came up with with, with Kubernetes. As a a community, we came up with all sorts of things that run on top of it, like service meshes. So we built a lot of things to help us use hardware better and ultimately let us build better software faster. Think about the combination of the advances in network technology and new protocols like REST and JSON and gRPC. Those made it possible to use the the available network bandwidth so much more efficiently and essentially helped us, all of us, Built more efficient, more resilient applications. And the rise of Kubernetes, as I was just talking about a bit, made it possible to automatically make sure that those applications that we built operate in a highly available, fault-tolerant way. And I know that I say automatically, and I absolutely realize that for a lot of people on the call today, automatically means yeah that's actually me working very hard and for a lot of developers listening to this it's yeah that totally means automatic because there is this this difference between what a developer sees and what the folks that have to work day in day out 24 7 to keep everything running actually see on the back end and As I talk about that time to value, what we have to do to get our software in the hands of our customers, that time to value is becoming the most important metric ultimately because businesses try to optimize the activities that they perform to that time to value. It's so much more important to make sure that you get your software in the hands of your customer just a fraction before your competitor does. And as the industry shifts to these microservices and making sure that we get the, that business logic out faster, that is actually decreasing the time to value. And at the same time, we've started building a lot of new tools, a lot of new practices to essentially help support building microservices. But why are, those, why are businesses essentially trying to optimize those activities? Why are people really focusing on getting to value faster, why does does it actually matter? Because at the end of the day, and this is going to be true for both developers, for operators, for the business folks, the business analysts, ultimately everyone wants to go from seeing data to taking action. It's no longer enough to realize that there is this, this VM that's being turned off. There is this payment that isn't being processed we need to take action we need to make sure that the vm is rebooted that the pod is moved to a different uh, a different machine that the kubernetes cluster is being taken care of that the transaction is automatically retried all sorts of things and with the ever increasing volumes of data and devices that is really hard thing to do Now, we obviously want to get to market faster than ever before, and I don't think there is any company out there, maybe not even any developer out there, that's going to disagree with this. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, we need to make sure as an industry that we meet the stakeholder demands and deliver the innovation, deliver the differentiation that people expect. But ultimately, and I think this is the most important thing when you think about software in general, It is about empowering more people to go build applications. It's about making sure that people become much more self-sufficient, helping businesses transform and in some cases, literally reinvent themselves, going from a very traditional on-premise type of company to a complete SaaS company or use technology to do things that they never thought of before. And to get there, we have to realize that we need to build applications differently. I mean, a few years ago, um, we went from building and connecting these monolithic applications to each other using technologies like service buses and message brokers. And in all honesty, I helped to build this. I helped to sell this. And we went from this to a completely different idea. We went to this idea of microservices, of event-driven, of APIs, and everything connected to each other. And that whole idea of infrastructure as code, of uh, that whole idea of that everything is based on APIs and event-driven patterns, that really helps us go from seeing data to taking action. It helps us to go from, From long times to delivery to getting the value in our customers' hands as fast as possible, it helps us to empower more users to build application. And from the point of view of someone who just writes code, this is all great. This is awesome because the only thing I need to do as a developer is write a bunch of code, throw it over the wall, and someone else is going to run it for me. But what does that mean for the folks who have to keep the lights on? What does it mean for the folks that have to make sure that all that infrastructure still runs all that infrastructure that nobody actually sees. So. For your, well, second host tonight, I guess your, your, your guest, I do apologize, Ken, for stealing your title of host here. I just want to quickly introduce myself. My name is Leo Stichter, product manager at LightBend. I am absolutely a serverless aficionado. I mean, I deeply care about developers making sure that they can build what they need to build in the best way possible. Um, I am also definitely a, at least self-proclaimed cheesecake connoisseur. And if you have any recommendations on what the best cheesecake is, please feel free to send them my way either on Twitter. Um, I think we're going to post this on, uh, on YouTube as well. So you could put a, uh, uh, a link on there too. Now, enough about me. Let's actually go back to our regularly scheduled programming because that's ultimately the most important thing. And let's go into the history of, uh, of serverless a bit. And imagine for a second that it's 2006, so that's 15 years ago today. It's the year in which Finland won the Eurovision Song Contest. It's the year that Italy won the FIFA World Championship. It is the year that Microsoft released Office 2007. It is also the year that Zimkey announced their serverless JavaScript platform. And Zimkey, depending on on how you want to look at it, really was the first company on the planet that came up with the idea of doing things serverless. They came up with the idea that they would handle all the logging, all the session management, everything that uh, that developers needed to do, like backing up, monitoring, like all the hard things that administrators take care of, SREs take care of on a day-to-day basis. And they would do that for developers. Unfortunately, though, Zimke was probably way ahead of its time and um, their platform just wasn't a success. So two years later, in 2008, there was this other company Google that decided to launch App Engine. And um, as I'm guessing a lot of people know, App Engine is still active today. And that really was, for a lot of people, the first idea of what serverless infrastructure could become. But I'm willing to bet. That for the vast majority of people that are listening to this call or or watching this video, that the real introduction to uh, to serverless came around 2014 when um, my countryman Werner Vogels went on stage and introduced the world to AWS Lambda. Uh, And as it says on uh, on the slide here, uh, an event-driven computing service for dynamic applications. And event-driven is something that we'll actually get to in a bit as well, because that to me is one of the key elements why serverless is is so interesting. So the other thing that AWS started to popularize around the same time was the serverless operating model. And the idea is that you want to be leveraging managed services as much as possible so that you can focus your engineering resources on adding the business logic that moves the needle for your customers. It's the idea that you want to be focusing on buy versus build, uh, where you want to use the managed services for the things that are not as important to you and really want to focus the resources you have on the things that move the needle for your business. Now, this is great, but I actually want to highlight uh, two different boards. So I'm going to do that like right now. And when he says engineering resources, he doesn't make the distinction between developers and sysadmins or SREs or other types of folks. Um, He doesn't make any distinction at all, because the matter of fact is that you need both dev and ops to be successful at serverless as a team or as a company. And generally, those apps, especially serverless ones, consist of of two types of things. I mean, they consist of of the undifferentiated heavy lifting, the, the things that need to be done but really provide no competitive advantage. I mean, those are things like security patches. I mean, no one really enjoys doing that. Those are things like database management, probably one of the hardest things on the planet. And then you have the secret sauce, the, the things that make your application special, the things that make your application unique. And those, those could be the user experience, but that could definitely also be the speed at which you can process the requests that your customers get. Because ultimately, when you look at the best application or the best looking application on the planet, and it takes five minutes for you to process a click of a button, then people aren't gonna be as impressed. If you have a slightly less good looking app, but you take only a second or even less to process that click, people are gonna be much more impressed. So speed can absolutely be a differentiating factor. It can totally be part of the secret sauce that moves the needle for your customers. So diving into serverless a bit more and, and sort of talk about why it matters from an application point of view, It is all about uh, no more servers. And yes, as I said in in the beginning, and I'll repeat it specifically for, uh, for Tim, there are servers in serverless, absolutely. But it's about giving everyone the flexibility and the time to think about what's adding value to the business process. And this is, at least from my perspective, a reason why the operational folks, the SREs, are so incredibly important in this. Because they have this broad picture, this broad view of what is important to build highly scalable, highly resilient applications and whether you do that on a server or whether you do, uh, do that deploying to something like AWS Lambda, it is incredibly important that you have both sides of that spectrum in, uh, in your team. It is all about flexible scaling and sure, from a client perspective, that means that the platform is taking care of everything. It's scaling your application up when more traffic arrives, it is adding more capacity to handle that increased workload when that happens very seamlessly. uh, for example, if I look at compute resources, it, it simply uh, could mean just adding a bunch more machine to handle all that. And the concurrency model of, of a 12-factor app is, is also very relevant in, uh, in thinking about this. And if I think about it from an SRE or from an operations point of view, the things I just talked about, like... The platform takes care of scaling, we just magically add a bunch of compute resources to take care of this. This is absolutely why serverless not only is important to the operational folks, but also why the operational folks are so important to serverless. Because without you all, without the folks that make sure we can do this on a day to day basis, there really wouldn't be any serverless. Now, for a lot of folks, the real added value of serverless is that you pay for use, not for server units. So you're essentially paying for your actual usage for the throughput. Um, either in execution duration, in number of uh, uh, API calls that you make, a combination of the two, and that's obviously much more true on the uh, the public cloud side of things. If you if you look at the the private cloud of things, uh, for example, using things like Tanzu Serverless or a Red Hat OpenShift serverless, then the whole idea is that you can actually reuse the capacity much more meaningful so that you don't have to scale up a lot of servers just to run a few processes every once in a while, but that you can reuse that capacity when things are not in uh, in use. So paying for value or at least reusing that, that server capacity in a much more meaningful way is incredibly important. And one of my personal favorites is automated high availability. It doesn't, doesn't mean that developers have to, uh, or essentially can forget about fault tolerance, can forget about high availability and say, look, it's all part of the platform. Someone else is going to do it for me. It, it does mean that they have to think about uh, about how to code for failures. And there are a lot of new failures that they have to take into account because that automatic, automatic scaling of functions doesn't mean that everything is going to scale. I mean, just think about a database and in all honesty, I, I have never successfully scaled up a database while it was in use. Um, you know, in, in full transparency, I probably wouldn't be the best uh, SRE or server admin or however you want to call it on the planet. Um, I'll just re- rely on my, uh, on my PM and sort of my, my developer skills, I guess. Um and when you look at scaling that, if you don't do that properly, you're essentially exacerbating the problem. So, taking all that into account, is, is serverless a real thing? And yeah, again, I totally realized that it runs on service, it runs on someone else's servers, in fact. But is it a real thing? And looking at the CNCF Kubernetes survey of 2019, uh, 41% of the respondents say that they are using serverless in production today. So that means that four out of 10 companies are using serverless in some way, shape or form, whether it's in their private cloud, in their public cloud, in order to do all sorts of things. And the cool thing is as you start to talk to, uh, to those developers, but also to the, the administrators and why do they use serverless, there is this massive array of different use cases, whether it's building chatbots, APIs, uh, real-time messaging systems, or just automating the tedious day-to-day stuff that, um, that you know, uh, uh, essentially get you to, uh, to value faster. So I, I, I see a quick question come in. Um, if I've sampled the Japanese Basque cheesecake yet, um, unfortunately I have not. So Dan, I'm going to take you up on, uh, on that and, and see if you can get me one of those.
0: Follow up question, uh, there, Leon, it, ah,
1: is cheesecake yeah. factory good for a cheesecake person? I don't know anything about cheesecake. <laughs> so, um, you know, cheesecake factory is, um, is actually pretty good when you, uh, when you consider like the specialty cheesecakes, um, if you if you want a really good like more New York style cheesecake, there are uh, there are definitely better ones. Um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to name brands on on the uh, on this webinar. Sure, we don't care. Okay, in that case, my absolute favorite is a place called Juniors, which is in uh, which has a bunch of uh, um, uh, a, a bunch of stores up in uh, up in New York and Brooklyn. Um, they have by far the best cheesecake I've ever had. There you go. Free plug. Absolutely. Absolutely. It will, it will be so nice if you know, someone of that company actually sees this and and then decides to send me a cheesecake. Uh, yeah. We'll get a sponsorship going. That'd be great. Right. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, so speaking about, about Kubernetes a bit, um, and I, I sort of want to want to zoom in there for uh, for a second uh, with this great tweet that Kelsey Hightower sent just the other day, saying that if Kubernetes is the electrical grid, then Knative is the light switch. And um, what I guess he meant by that, looking at some of the uh, some of the responses there uh, on that thread, is that. It really helps make Kubernetes a lot easier, and I do feel that this uh, this idea of serverless making other things easier to use is very much in line with the whole idea of uh, uh, of serverless because it it means that we're freeing up resources, both cognitive as well as you know physical resources, to make sure that we can do something else and that that whole idea that that light switch i absolutely love that because you know you can turn a light switch on you can turn a light switch off and both of those things are, are events and that's the whole idea of uh of serverless and it also sort of comes back in that uh, in that earlier screenshot we saw from aws lambda it is all about event-driven computing so just to unpack that really quick and uh, again into a, a bit of the well i guess nitty-gritty details just think about how a, a typical workflow for, uh, for a developer or someone else in the industry looks like when they're committing code to, uh, to GitHub. So in terms of event-driven, an event is like a commit to a Git repository. And um, you have all sorts of web hooks that get fired off. And, and then there is some code that's going to do something. It's the application. It's whatever reacts to that to that event. And ultimately, that code can decide, what am I going to do next, it can actually create a bunch more events. So this whole idea is absolutely this microservice oriented, uh, uh, eventing oriented way of working where a a lot of what we're doing now is very much influenced by the things that we did before. Because let's be honest, when I talk about an event coming in, an application handling it, and then uh, sending more events, that kind of sounds just like PubSub. I mean, isn't that exactly what PubSub used to do, to get event data uh, to our consumers? And. Absolutely true. The traditional pops up was definitely something that, that did that. That model was obviously made popular with the rise of service-oriented architecture, where the events are placed on channels or topics, and you know, all subscribers were uh, were notified. And modern tools that totally fit into this category are things like Amazon SNS, Azure Service Bus, Google Cloud Pops Up, uh, and, and name it. And this is to me an incredibly interesting thing because a lot of people think that serverless is is just functions. And for a lot of developers, serverless is a complete spectrum of capabilities that they can leverage without having to worry that they have to go manage a server. And I know that, as I said, a lot of people essentially equate FaaS and serverless, but they are really quite separate. Uh, fast is always serverless, but serverless doesn't mean it have to be fast. There's many other tools that really fit that spectrum. I mean, you have things like object storage, you have things like databases, message brokers, as we as we just talked about, analytical tools that uh, that are there that absolutely are serverless, and it all comes down to the fact that from a developer point of view, yeah, totally awesome that. I don't have to worry about about the server anymore. Someone else is going to do that for me. But all of these tools are incredibly useful when it comes to server admins or SREs or however you want to call it as well, simply because it helps you automate, keep track of, and essentially better the things that you don't want to be doing on on a day-to-day basis so that you can focus your time on making the application that, that, that you're monitoring actually better. And in order to build all that, in order to do all those things, developers really seem to gravitate towards serverless solutions for for essentially three things, for higher agility, for lower IT cost, and for higher speed to innovation. And as you think about that, you might be wondering, how can we support them? Um, How can we, as the, the operations teams, as the SREs, how can we make sure that our developers actually do that? And sort of getting back to those three things, the beauty is as you look at them, then they are all accomplished by having really awesome SREs, really awesome admins. Because those are the folks that allow developers to use tools like Knative, like OpenFast, like uh, VMware Tanzu, uh, uh, Red Hat's OpenShift, Um, but also things like the VMware Event Broker Appliance or VEBA for short. And yeah, actually also tools like AWS Lambda, because believe it or not, there are absolutely admins. There are absolutely SREs that are constantly working to make Lambda a better service. So I guess the, uh, the better question is, how can we actually join them? How can we make sure that we get to use all of those amazing tools that we just talked about to make our lives easier, to make our days better? And it turns out that the ops in, in DevOps, for example, is just as important as dev. And I just binged the, uh, a quick search for serverless for DevOps. And they are all talking about how important the operational side of DevOps is. Because ultimately, without the ops, the dev is just, well, creating stuff. So it really helps that, uh, to, to realize that the operations is not just an enabler that's adding more machines or keeping the lights on, but they are also helping to implement, to automate, to deliver new functionality. And, and one of those tools to really help, and I personally love this tool, is actually the VMware Event Broker Appliance, or VEBA for short I mean this is all about letting vSphere uh, send a bunch of events that allow everyone to build these event-driven automations. So you can do things like uh, trigger, uh, trigger actions that when something in your data center happens, that you integrate it into Slack, into PagerDuty, into ServiceNow, that you send an email, that you um, you know call someone and play a recorded message, obviously. So, for example, let's look at uh, let, let's look at notifications. I mean. Just think about the fact that you can have real-time updates for your inventory, that you can have real-time insight into what is happening to that switch, what is happening in your SDDC, what are all those components doing, monitor health, monitor availability, and actually trigger remediating actions when something happens so that you're going to be the first one to find out and not your customer, whether that is someone outside of your company or someone inside of your company. Obviously super important, especially in today's world, is the ability to track all configuration changes and just think about what happens when a change goes into production. There are so many sign-offs that need to happen just to make sure that all of the, the, uh, the CMDBs, all of those change management databases are properly updated so that everyone can audit what has happened and that we can be sure that software goes into production in a secure and fast way. And as you think about all of those things happening, then uh, the VMware Event Broker Appliance, or VEBA for short, is essentially powered by, uh, by a bunch of different uh, different components. And the, the interesting thing, at least from, from my perspective, is all about the orchestration engine. And um, if you choose uh, VEBA, uh, then you can essentially choose between two options. You have Knative, you have OpenFAS and both do pretty much the same thing both run on kubernetes and and give you the ability to listen to events react on events and then process them uh, process them further on so um you know what before i continue let me actually really quickly stop um and i am going to share a a different window uh here and sort of walk you through uh walk you through an event so what I'm going to do is um, I've created this, or actually I, I copied because that's the uh, the, the beauty. Of uh, uh, of the Veba community, they've created so many awesome functions that you can use out of the box already. So what I'm going to do is um, I'm just going to start a simple server that would listen to an event, and essentially what it's going to do is it's going to dump out the event that it uh, that it gets. So I'm going to run that as a as a Docker container simply because that's easy to test with and, and really easy to, uh, to to debug. So right now everything is uh, is running. And um, what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to mimic that an event comes in. So we'll, we'll look quickly at this event. And what it does is um, um, if you configure uh, VEBA to listen to the events coming from vSphere, one of those events could be that a VM is powered off. So in this case, it is the, um, the VM called Test01, which is a virtual machine, uh, a VM56. Um, and uh, it's uh, unfortunately powered off. So if I uh, if I sent that in, great, you uh, you essentially get the uh, the message back, and you can see, hey, well, we received that message. And you know, that's kind of nice. But what if we really wanted to make sure that we could do something with it, that we could automate something with that. And that's as easy as essentially handling that event and turning that into a bunch more events. So I'm going to remove this for, uh, for a second. And what I'm going to do in, in this case is I'm going to need the, uh, the event payload. So quickly going here what i need is everything that falls into this data category so in uh, in golang i'm going to do an, uh, an unmarshal of the uh, the v3 event and the payload that i want is the event.data um, if there is an error then oh if i can actually type then i'm just going to uh, I'm, ju- I'm just going to log it I mean, you obviously normally want to want to properly handle uh, handle your event. And now what I'm going to do is I'm just going to send it off to another system. Uh, let's assume that for a second, I want to send it to, uh, to PagerDuty. So in this case, I um, actually created real quick this uh, sent message, which is just sending an, an HTTP payload. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to call the sent message event and it takes two inputs it takes the uh, the actual event here and um it takes a, it takes a url where where we can send things so let's send it to um you know what i'm just going to send it to uh, to my own domain i'm going to send it to records.com let's let's for a second assume that this was a, a pager duty server or or at least something along those lines and the nice thing is that i can now very easily just run it again um takes uh, takes a few seconds to uh, to start up. It's uh, it's there again, and if now if that if that event comes in, I actually get to uh, I actually get it right back. I can see what happens. If I go, if I go in here, then yeah, I see that it actually tried to call my, uh, uh, my, my website, super awesome. And this is also how we can actually decide what kind of things should happen. So maybe I actually only want to do this when, uh, let me quickly go into this again, if that, um, if it was for a specific data center. So let's say that we wanna make sure that it only happens if the data center name is test DC. And you know there you can start to add in some some uh, some logic. So if uh, event data name uh, equals uh, uh, test oh test DC, uh, and only then uh, you know start to start to send that uh, that actual message. So. Things like like serverless and really focusing on the the few bits and pieces that that actually matter to go do something, to provide that that extra business value, that is incredibly important. That is why I think that serverless is so incredibly important as a concept, not just for the developer side of the house, but for everyone in, uh, in our industry. So just to like summarize, because I do definitely wanna wanna be uh, wanna be respectful of time. Um, Just to summarize, why does stateful serverless or serverless in general matter for SREs? It is is focusing on what matters. It is adding the business logic that moves the needle for your customers. It is about automating all the things. It is, for example, using VEBA, triggering uh, events that happen in vSphere and allowing you to to build event-driven automations. and. It is essentially about helping developers. It is making sure that you have the power to keep that system running, but it also provides you with the technology to automate more so that you can build better systems to help developers and ultimately help your company be, uh, be more productive, be more valuable, and get faster to market. Because at the end of the day, the thing that every company on this planet wants is to make sure that they get to market faster. So with that, I know I've, I've talked a lot about serverless, why it matters. So all that's left for me is to say, thank you very much. Thank you to Ken and Chris for having me. If there are any questions, I'd be more than happy to take them.
0: I'll give our audience a chance to get their questions in and I'll ask one myself. Uh, by the way, thank you very much, uh, Leon. Uh, so, if I'm a server admin and SRE watching this right now, I'm really excited. I think event-driven automation is great. I can think of maybe a few use cases to get my business started. But I'm a point-and-click GUI traditional, you know, admin guy. I have no idea where to get started. Where should I get started?
1: So it it, it all depends. I mean, I, I think if you if you are the point-and-click GUI type of guy, um, using your words then the best place to start is, is in all honesty, uh, checking out the VEBA appliance. I mean, I think the VMware team uh, and, you know, the rest of the community there have done an amazing job making sure that it is really easy to understand what is going on. It really is pretty much plug and play. And... With a lot of the example functions that they have, using a bunch of different languages. I mean, I chose Go simply because that's my preferred language, but it could be it could be PowerShell. Um, so if you are comfortable with writing PowerShell scripts or writing Bash scripts, then you could take that and the same thing use that as the base for your automation within uh, the VMware Event Broker appliance and as you as you sort of grow beyond that and want to extend, then looking at things like Knative or OpenFAS are, are absolutely uh, are absolutely great simply because it really ties in to a lot of the infrastructure that uh, that we're seeing today.
0: Awesome. Great stuff. Thanks very much. Uh, appreciate the time. Uh, looks like there's no other questions, unless somebody gets in one here at the last moment, I will say, Good evening, everybody. Make sure to join us next week as we kick off our CKA series. Uh, And until next time, we'll see you later. If I can find the stop recording.